0: Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for leading us in worship today. Well done. We were blessed. Were we blessed? Amen. I'm thinking about taking a risk this morning. Thanks, Bob. Well, that was already happening. Yeah, you might. If there's a visitor to our church sitting next to you, would you tell him he's wearing a tie and you should watch out? this is the first time watching us online, hang in. Okay, here you go. You're going to have to join me in this. Here's the words. I will stand my ground. I will stand my ground. Ready? I will stand my ground where hope can be found. Where hope can be found. You know this is a lyric from a song. I will, I will stand my ground where hope can be found. Where hope can be found. You got that? Yeah. Do you believe that? Yeah. Ooh, Fewer of you. I will stand my ground where hope can be found. Is there any other place to stand? <laughs> I will stand my ground where failure can be found. I will stand my ground where hopelessness can be found. I will stand my ground where dumb can be found. See, this is the obvious nature of some of the things in Scripture and some of the things in life that for whatever reason, we choose dumb ground, failing ground, manipulated ground, popular ground but not where hope is found today i want to remind you where hope is found and i think in a lot of ways that's the point that is being made in all seven churches there is only one place to stand where hope is found Remember I told you that this has to mean something to the local church, remember? that th- There's no reason for Revelation to be sent to the seven churches if it were not meaning something to those local churches, right? So that's ground level of our conversation about the seven churches. It has to mean something to them. And so all the things that you think about, all the things that we talk about, that we teach about it, meaning things historically and in, in historical uh, understanding representations of its meaning are significant but may not be primary could you live with that if it were secondary Hmm. revelation chapter two you're looking for it in your bible it's there at the end last book in the bible is revelation Um, you'll find there in chapter two The books of Revelation, I want to, or the seven churches begin with Ephesus, and I want to talk to you about three churches this morning. I'm not going to cover them in the same way we've been covering sort of the one-by-one situation, because three of these churches have have a demonstration of sort of a deteriorating situation, okay? There's a deterioration going on in the early Christian church, a deterioration of faith. And you shouldn't be surprised by it because it's the exact same deteriorating process that took place throughout Israel's history and throughout mankind's history. This is just mirroring everything else that has gone on before it. A deterioration of faith has started in the church. And in Ephesus, we find that it is not yet started, though some are present in the area, in the church, in the time talking about it okay you you clear so far good so there's a deterioration of faith i like this building if i could have found a picture where that building had a cross on it or if i could have been good enough with uh with the tools of photography to stick one on it i would have because this is the deterioration of the church you know what's interesting about deterioration it happens naturally it's one of the laws of physics That without energy being put into a situation to make it better, it will become worse. It's the law of entropy. Things will return to a status of lesser energy. Things will decline. They will deteriorate over time. That's why you have to paint your house. You understand? That's why leaks appear under your your, your, uh, sink without you doing anything. You don't. You don't throw nuts and bolts down the sink, although that will cause a leak, leak, maybe a link too. You don't do anything that causes the deterioration. The deterioration is a result of the planet on which we live and the fact is true. Entropy is real. Deterioration happens. Look at yourself in the mirror if you're over about oh, 30. Is it true? Deterioration happens. Deterioration happens. So since we're talking to our neighbors, will you turn to your neighbor and say, deterioration happens? Entropy is true. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Gravity always wins. Oxygen can kill you. Water will turn you into a puddle. All of those things are true. All right? Deterioration is the natural state of things, and the only way deterioration is prevented is with active energetic input from somebody trying to stop it yeah yeah now let me take you through israel's history for a few for just a minute israel goes along they leave they they get they get kept up (laughs) they are a bunch of slaves captured in egypt the family is there it's grown immensely but in this immense gathering, they are all slaves. They have no rights. They have no res- no, no, nothing but jobs and responsibilities. No blessings. No rights. Nothing going their way except that in the back of their mind, in the history of their life, there is a story about God. What happens to change that? A guy comes in, puts forth a tremendous amount of energy in the power of God to get them out of Egypt, right? Do do you agree, those of you who know the story, that energy was put into the system in order to get them out of Egypt? Plagues fall on this country until the Egyptians are finally saying, just leave already. They go out across the deserts. They find their way out towards the promised land. They get into the promised land. They finally settle. I'm skipping a whole bunch of history. Read read the first, oh, I don't know, 45 chapters or 45 uh, books of the Bible. You'll get the picture. They get in, they establish judges, everything looks really good. Joshua's keeping them all, driving along and doing well. And then during the period of the judges, do you know what happens during Israel's history of the judges? Don't read Judges with your children. It's, it's at least PG-13. So going along, Moses and Joshua, and they descend and deteriorate away from God. And then somebody comes along, helps get them back toward God, calls calls them to champion God's will and they go back to serving God and then they do that for a little while and then they descend into a deteriorated mode where their faith begins to struggle. And this is the situation in Israel all through the judges. And then they get kings. Things should be better. There are kings. But they're not. First king is taller than all the rest. He looks like the man for the job, but he hardly gets started when he starts to decline in his relationship with God and his faith in God. And Israel goes into this track where their king is not following God and Israel starts to struggle to follow God. And then they get a new king. And he's awesome. And his name is David. And his his children are going to stand on the throne forever. And it's all this wonderful stuff. And God's promises and amazing stuff. And then what does he do? He gets himself into immorality. The ultimate description of immorality, murder, complete denial of someone else's value. And he starts to descend. And Israel starts to struggle. Now he sits in this simmering mode for a long time, but his sons rebel against him. He has to fight a war against one of his sons. So much horrible stuff happens after this. But he has another son, and they get a new king, and he's awesome, and he asks for wisdom instead of money and the destruction of his enemies. And God says, you're awesome, I like you. Yes, I'll give you anything you want, everything you want. And you know what happens to him? Oh, it all starts with a woman from Egypt. He marries a woman who's the daughter of the king of, the king of Egypt, and instead of trying to lead her to his father, he builds her an idolatrous temple so that she can worship her own God. And that begins the decline of his own relationship with God into idolatry and immorality. And by the time we get to the end of Solomon's life, we get this book of his regrets called Ecclesiastes. His reflections and his regrets. And if you, if you, without telling you the next thousand years, it does this. It's just up and down and up and down and up and down. And when someone puts energy and effort into the restoration of the relationship of the nation with God, it goes better. And then it deteriorates over time because without the input of effort, it always deteriorates. Is that fair? Is it fair for you? And we've been talking about them and there, but if we talked about you and here, is it still true? Would you buy this as a description of your own walk with God? If you are new here, if you have not developed yet a walk with God, I am telling you right now, it is the most glorious thing you can experience, but it is going to take some effort. It is going to call you to be things and do things that you didn't know that you could do or wanted to do. Always. Every single time. And you will come to the edge of the call of God in your life over and over again and you will decide at those moments do I want to step into what God is asking me to step into or do I want to stay where I feel comfortable? Do I want to step into what God is, God is calling me into, which I'm not really comfortable with, or do I want to stay where I am comfortable? I know, uh, I, I, no, no, no is not the right word. I have a, uh, a podcast relationship with someone. Do you feel like you know those people sometimes? I heard recently say I'm trying to do something uncomfortable every day. I try to do things uncomfortable never. (laughs) The whole point of uncomfortable is to describe what happens when you're not feeling good about the situation. But he said, I am trying to do something uncomfortable every day. Are you in for that? All right, let me make you more uncomfortable. Revelation chapter two, the story of Ephesus, the book of uh, the book, the, the, the letters to the seven churches start with Ephesus. I've shown you some pictures of it before. This is the, the, probably the greatest sort of single thing to see there. And it's the front of the library of Celsus, which is still standing. You, you can see the roof is blown out. There's nothing behind it. You can see it's hollow back there. You can see the sky through the windows, but that facade is pretty fantastic. I mean, everybody who goes there gets their picture taken in one of those doors out there in front of the thing, including Brenda and I, Had our picture taken by some people we didn't know and some people we did. It's a fantastic thing in this amazing city. And what's great about this city in our story this morning is the statement Jesus makes to them. You have this in your favor. I want you to know something's going well with you guys. You have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans. Have you ever heard God tell somebody to hate something? I don't know of another place in Scripture where it says this. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans. Do they hate the Nicolaitans? Can you see the distinction, and would you make that distinction? They hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. I don't like this phrase. I actually went through the Bible to find all the places where the word hate was used. It's a couple hundred times. And to see how many times God said that he hated something or someone. There's a quote where the people of Israel are saying to God, you hate this. But what I have discovered is there are only 11 times when it's attributed to God. hatred is attributed to God. And every time, other than that one, which you can decide whether you think it's God or not, other than that one, it's always about something, not someone. You got that? I hate the practices of the Nicolaitans. I hate your offering because your hands are covered in the blood of your fellow man. I hate and detest your offerings Because you are rotten, mean, and nasty. It's a close parallel quote. Over and over and over again, it's something like that. And I want you to get the distinction there. It is always a practice, not a person. Because God does not hate His children. He loves His children. While at the same time not loving what they're doing. Alright? But only 11 out of a couple hundred are attributed to God's voice. This is one of them. There are two, actually, in this section of Revelation. I hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, too. So what are these guys doing that's gotten God's ire up? I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself, which I also hate. You have in your favor that you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. This is what happens when I get ahead of myself. Zechariah 8, 17 says, Let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor. Do not love a false oath, for all these are things that I hate, says the Lord. I don't like any of this stuff. Don't practice it. Eleven passages describe God hating. Eleven that are not about people. See, I have to pay attention to what's up there, or I will just wander off on my own. Then I'll just leave the slides and preach because I've gotten so far ahead of myself I can't do anything else. So, in the first place, are the Ephesians in a deteriorating state in this case? Not yet. No, they're not. They hate the... The behaviors of the Nicolaitans, and God says, I also hate those. So they're on whose side? God's side. They are resisting something that God would also be resisting. Got it? Okay, we, we don't like the word hate. But it's, a, it's a very strong word, but let's, let's go into why. So before we do, I want to go to Pergamum, because this, this, this second church is going to come up. This is the second church that comes up with this same problem the Nicolaitan problem, okay? This is a great artist rendition from a long time ago in the 1860s of Pergamum. To get up here, so this is up on top of a hill. It's about a 1,000 foot in elevation. To get up there, we had to take a cable car, a gondola, which, did that look really good to you? Was it looking a little rickety to you? <laughs> I, we, start, we go up to this gondola. And we're used to, you know, the sort of uh, ski lifts, model modern gondola look and we got up to this gondola it looked like it could use a little maintenance as my wife said because things deteriorate unless someone puts energy into maintaining them right and so this gondola has had been going down the entropy road for a few years now, we all went up, we all came down, so they had apparently been maintaining the cable, which was the only part that really mattered. Rust and dirt and stuff like that weren't so big a deal. There were no holes in it. You couldn't look through the floor and see the ground. That was good. I probably wouldn't have gotten on. And number two, the cable seemed to be well maintained. So you had to go up on a gondola to get there. But this is an artist's renditions of what it would have looked like in the first century. I want you to look at a couple of things. Right here in the front, that's the Temple of Zeus. I'll show you that front because they, with some, uh, well, never mind. It's in the Berlin Museum. That's the Temple of Zeus. Up here, this one up here is Diana, the temple for the the, uh, god of fertility. Up on top, she has a couple names. One of them is Athena, Diana, and I think there's one more. So that one's up on top, up there. You can't see it down here. Is a uh, big theater down behind that rock there, and this is just lots of other things that are going on on there. This is the library, which apparently had 200,000 books in it, which is second only to Alexandria in Egypt. Pretty outstanding. So this was a this was a health center. Below this, we went to a medical facility um, that was would draw people from all over the world. One of the greatest doctors of the history of that time l- lived in this city. And this city is the capital of Roman Asia. So when this letter goes to them, this is the capital city of Asia, as the Romans see it. Okay? So you got the picture of that? See it? Okay. Hang on to that picture for a minute. This is what's left of the Temple of Zeus on top of the hill. So there used to be a lot more of this temple here, but it's in that square where the tree's growing up in the middle of where basically where the altar would be. That's the tree. Okay. So that section, you can see it's right on the brow of the hill. So when you were coming up, the point of this being up there and being there in all its grandeur was to impress you with the sanctification of the people in that community. They were so committed to Zeus that they put his temple right out on the brow of the hill where everybody for miles around could see it. You were supposed to be amazed. This is where it, where it is today. And one of the tr- one of the revelation tours that we we did, we started in Berlin. And one of the things we did in Berlin was go to the Berlin Museum. And I looked, went to this place. I took, I didn't take this picture. I took one like it, but didn't really know what I was looking at. It's like, okay, here's a temple that you guys took from some place, brought it home, and reconstructed it. That's the front of the Temple of Zeus. You can see people standing in the middle in the back. It would have opened up into the backside. That's where the altar would have been. That's where the priests would have been. This is just your entrance where you come up, you walk up the steps to help you understand how solemn this is. And you're closer to the heavens and you're closer to the gods. And so look at all how cool it is where you are. And when you're standing down below, it would just tower above you. That's the point. You know what's happened to that over the last 2,000 years? Deterioration. You know how it got to this point? The Germans who b- grabbed all this stuff while they were, ar- were, while they were digging there, took it home and rebuilt it. And they put it inside a building because you can control deterioration inside the building better than outside. This same museum has the entrance to, the, to Babylon. If you're ever in Berlin, do this. If you're ever in Berlin, if you have a stopover in Berlin, you're going to do one thing on the three hours you have to wait, do that. It's worth your time. This is a model of the city. So you've seen a drawing of the city. This is a model of the city. There's that temple to Zeus. There's the temple to Athena. There's that theater I was telling you about. Pretty cool city. You look at it. Would have been impressive to come up to. You can see why it would be A central city, an important city. It also, because it's up on top of this hill, is a difficult city for someone to take. It was a difficult city to fight against. It usually had to surrender in order for it to be conquered. And it was gone through several hands over time. So you're with me so far? Ephesus, you're doing pretty good. We like what you're doing. Pergamum, the next church. I have a few things against you. Note that it's a few things. It's not everything. Because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam. Who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of who? Okay. How many of you know the story of the donkey that talked to a man? You ever heard of the story of a donkey talking to a person? Okay. Really? How many of you you just don't want to raise your hand? Some raised their hand on that vote. Interesting. That story's in this story. A prophet is hired from another country, brought to to, um, where Israel is camped. Israel's camped on the Jordan, about to go into the promised land, that time of the Exodus, before they go into the promised land. As they're camped on the Jordan, about to go into the promised land, this guy is hired to curse them. He fails at it three times miserably. In fact, he prophesies the coming of the Messiah. And he prophesies how great Israel is going to be. All of that while trying to be hired, and he fails. So, on his way out, sort of his last act, he says, You want to cause these, problem, these people a problem? I can't do it for you. But if you celebrate a festival to your idols, and in these festivals, there was food offered to these idols, which would then be shared in a kind of a barbecue setup. And then, by the way, the the picnic in a couple of weeks, or next week, no food offered idols, I promise. (laughs) It's barbecue, you know. And number two, it was normal to avail yourself of prostitution as part of worship. And so they go down to the camp of the Israelites, they invite them to the to the barbecue, and the following festivities. You got enough information to figure out what happened? I really don't want to spell this out for your children. So you get it? Okay, thank you. As a result of that, Israel is left with a punishment from God by their choice, not by The curse of this hired prophet got it deterioration of faith into idolatry and immorality got it it's the same thing it's like a precursor to all of the problems they're going to have all through their history okay stop here and say yay pharisees for a minute the Pharisees were trying really hard to keep Israel out of this problem. They were trying really hard to put enough energy into the system that the degradation that had been normal for a thousand years wouldn't come up again. So as much as we see them as enemies, they were the ones trying to hold back the floods of idolatry and immorality. That was always coming. They were eating things sacrificed to idols and committing sexual immorality. See the temple of Zeus? I've kind of blown the picture up a little bit. Do you see the masses of people coming? See all the smoke? They would have these huge celebrations in these temples. I've told you this a little bit last week. They would have these huge celebrations in these temples where masses of food masses of animals would be killed and they would then be barbecued and given to the people or given to them raw and they would go home and cook it themselves okay if you think this is only a thing done by the pagans remember Passover right remember the Feast of Booths remember Day of Atonement the whole community was to come together They would have these sacrifices, they would go home, and part of what they were to do was to eat part of these sacrifices. So this would be, for most people in that era, a normal cultural thing. In fact, I would say the vast majority of people in that era, I don't know what was going on in China and Africa at the time, so I can't say everybody. But you get the picture. I gave you this last week, and I'm going to pound away at this so that you understand it. These are normal behaviors for everyone in the culture, including Jewish people, and the Christians have Jewish heritage. And a lot of these Christians are now learning about Jewish heritage, and they have pagan heritage. These practices are normalized. Now, Israel is not inviting people into sexual immorality in their feast days, but the idea that you everybody's gathered together, you have this big feast, and then afterwards you eat the food that's offered during this feast. That's a normal behavior. That's what's going on. That's what they're trying to symbolize in this picture. Masses of people coming up for a feast day, for a holiday. Okay. The gods decide winners and losers. In the Greco-Roman world, in all of that world, all of the pagan world, the gods decide winners and losers. And so the god is standing up here and saying, you people right here within my reach, you win. The rest of you are all losers. And the gods can be just that picky that weird they can just say hey i like you guys today maybe you guys tomorrow you guys win eh, too bad for you and the, the 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 understanding of these pagan gods is that they're not committed to anybody they're just committed to whatever they want to do and so a community would come together and try to buy the favor of whatever pagan god they were particularly worshiping and zeus is like top of the, the, the rungs He's the man or the God, little G. And so they would all come together. They would have this big sacrifice, which everyone in the city, everyone in the community had to participate in because the God is going to decide winners and losers. If you don't participate, it's going to cause a problem for our community. The success and the, the prosperity of the community depends on your participation. So what happens when you don't participate? We all suffer. Thanks a lot. So think about it this way. The Christians are deciding not to participate. The Jews are deciding not to participate. They won't eat the meat offered to idols. They won't partic- in the immor- participate in the immorality. And so what happens? An earthquake happens. And you know who gets blamed for the earthquake? The non participant folk this happened because you people refuse to honor zeus refuse to honor athena the crops fail it rains at the wrong time it snows during the spring something happens and determines that there won't be prosperity in the community who gets blamed the non-participants got it so in the in the, the church at Pergamum, he says, you have some who are practicing these things. Some have slipped into the cultural norms and started practicing them. So in Ephesus, nobody. In Pergamum, you have some who have started to drop into this pattern. They've started to slip into idolatry and immorality. They've started to slip right back into the pattern that killed Israel over and over and over again and caused Israel, after the Babylonian uh, captivity... Sometimes I wonder if I throw too much history at you in half an hour. Caused Israel after the Babylonian captivity to never be independent again. Unless you consider a short period during the Greeks, which is negligible to me. I will stand my ground where hope can be found. Why does God hate the practices of the Nicolaitans? Because if you go down that route, you put your faith in a rock or a stick. If you go down that route, you corrupt perhaps the most significant connection you have with the likeness of God. Procreation. The creator gave humans the right and the ability to participate in procreation. He gave women the honor, you can decide whether it was an honor, ladies, of being the vessel of procreation. And to be immoral in your practices, separating from the morality Of that. There's a lot of immoral things in the world. There are a lot of things that are non-moral. But when we say the word, we point it right at this event, at procreation. And the disruption of the gift God gave to mankind to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Idolatry, you put your hopes in a stick or rock. Immorality, you attack the central picture of what god intended to bless you with i wore the suit i wore the tie i warned you we're in the same hole right now but i don't want to get too far ahead of myself this is what's left of thyatira the third of these three t- churches you see that there's a, a a red sign off in the distance? I believe this picture was taken fairly recently because I walked right under that sign. I didn't take this picture. But that's it. Just some scraps and bits and pieces of the original city because the old, the, the city, of the present city was built right on top of it. And this is a little park in the middle of the town that's kind of like, this is what we have left. There is a, a Byzantine church, era church there. Byzantine is an easy way to cover a thousand years. So this could be anywhere from the 4th century up to about the 15th century, probably somewhere in the middle. A Byzantine church, relics, skeleton, still stands there on that site. It's probably why the site exists, because this thing was there. and they So well we can start with this and figure out what else is around. This is the church of Thyatira. Do you remember what what John says to them, what Jesus says to them. The message to Thyatira, first of all, is not all bad. Okay, I'm not going to read you the good part because I got, I, I'm on a, on a mission today. Jesus says to them, nevertheless, I have a few things against you, a few things because you allow that woman, Jezebel. Again, we're going to reach back into your memories and see if we can pull out the story of Israel and the name Jezebel. Jezebel gets thrown around all the time. You know, it, on, on, well, not as much today as it used to be. It was a, it was a story, it was a, a, a name thrown out for somebody who was corrupt morally and who was involving other people in it. And so this name becomes attached even in the present time to those kinds of folks. Because you allow that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to what? Teach. You've gone from you hate the behaviors, idolatry and immorality, to you have some people who are doing this, to you're allowing this woman who teaches these things to teach, to lead in your church. I hold the messengers to the church in my right hand. I hold the messengers to the church in my in my right hand. Do you think he's holding this one? Is she the only one speaking to this community? No, she's not the only one. But she's being allowed to teach the church that immorality and idolatry are okay. But now, before we... Before we just start kicking her around, remember the pressure, the cultural pressure that that community is under. Remember that if the gods are going to be pleased, we all have to participate. And if something bad happens in your town, you're going to be blamed. Now imagine how you would teach this. You and I both know that the gods are rocks and sticks. They're nothing at all. So don't sweat eating the meat at the festival. Because it was just offered to a rock or a stick, which means nothing. Now you could pick up some Pauline support for this. And as far as the whole getting involved with the temple and with the stuff that's going on inside the temple, you know, you got to go in. You got to at least go in. Ladies, gentlemen, I know this is hard. You got to at least go in. What happens behind the wall there is your business. Can you feel it? Could you see yourself saying, this is what we have to do to survive? This is what we have to do to remain in this community. And so here's a teacher in the church who's leading them astray. Now, I'm not supporting her, but I want us to understand her. Because we go down the same road all the time. We walk down the road of, well, I don't actually believe that. But because people are expecting this of me, my colleagues, my friends, my boss, just going to slide into this. I'm not really in favor of it, and I'm going to ask Jesus forgiveness when I walk out the door, but I'm going to just go this way. The culture is putting a lot of pressure on me, you understand? This church has a a leadership, a community, a culture, an empire. Pushing his thumb down on top of them. And before we jump on the condemn them train. Let's remember how we deal with our own. That's why I wanted to talk about this. She is teaching servants. She's seducing my servants to commit sexual immorality. Anything sacrificed to idols. Idolatry. immorality. Again. Because there's so much more to say. I'm going to stop slides. Because I still have to look up there at the clock and it says I only have five minutes left. Here's the deal. If God is mad at this, hates this. And God is for us. Right? Then this is against us. Yeah? Is that logical? God is opposed to idolatry and immorality. Yes? God is for you. And every you on the planet, by the way, So God thinks this stuff is bad for all of us. Yes? Yes. How's your TV doing with this? Immorality? Showing up? At your house? Isn't it really hard to find something to watch on your TV that isn't throwing immorality in your face? God does not like that. He likes you. That must be bad for you. Yeah? Yeah? So, what do we do? I want to talk about the idolatry thing in a minute. I think our culture is solidly idolatrous of information. We are solidly idolatrous of information. We're out there all the time gathering it, gathering it, gathering it, gathering it. Oh, the scientist said this. Oh, the historian said this. Dr. What's-His-Face said that. We take it all in. And we bow down before it and say, I will change my lifestyle to fit into what this guy said. I will change my life and all of my relationships based on what this woman said. We have become idolatrous for information. Is that fair? (laughs) You don't like this one as well. (laughs) You were okay hating on immorality, but this gets really right in my wheelhouse. I love information. I love information. Do I bow down to it? I will stand my ground where hope can be found. When Jesus appears to these churches, he comes with the two-edged sword in his mouth, which is a weird place to put a sword. It's an image I've never been able to really get my head around. But the biblical description of what the two-edged sword is, is the Bible The Old and New Testament. Jesus said the Word of God cuts both ways, right? It can cut, it's very sharp. It can sever bone and marrow. He comes saying, Here's your answer, folks. You want to sort out what you should and shouldn't be engaged with? Scripture. And when John is writing this, Scripture is the Old Testament. They've begun to talk about the teachings of the other people and began to collect people's letters. Paul's letters are certainly being collected by the end of the century, which is where this sits. But he is telling us the Word of God will help you sort out the problem. I love information. How should I weigh the information? Against Scripture. Do I the scripture weigh the scripture against the information? Hmm. Hmm. I can't be ignorant of the things that are influenced there. Right? I just went, those two people, this person and I, we just went and spent two weeks wandering around Turkey and Greece gathering information about the text and about the people who lived there and the way they lived and the the kinds of places they lived in. And I've been sharing some of that information with you. I have been informing you for about the last 30 minutes. Should you weigh what I have to say against the scripture? Yeah, that'd be a good idea. (laughs) I know me and a lot of people like me. So when, your favorite pundit, your favorite scholar, your favorite scientist, your favorite this or that, bloviates about their latest opinion. Let me ask you a question. Have you been reading the scripture enough to recognize the foolishness in pieces of it? Because if we're not there, we're open targets the idolatry of information that we love in this culture. There are a lot of other things I could talk about that are idolatry.